Aetherin Dark Saga is a dark fantasy audio drama. It contains themes of violence and is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Chapter 1, Part 2, Orin He leaned back against the wooden panelling, which made up the outside wall of the Black Bull Inn, his leather boots creaking in unison with the chair and fencing they rested upon. Smoke trailed from his clay pipe as he stalked the embers within. The rain was falling heavy, like spears sent from the heavens in all its fury. The road in front had turned to liquid mud, as an uncountable amount of raindrops exploded into puddles, adding to the quickly emerging quagmire. The heavy downpour muffled the noise from within the tavern, yet he could still hear the ringing of Smithy's hammers in the distance. He sighed with impatience and tapped his foot. Drawing hard upon the pipe, he exhaled out the fumes pouring out the pipe's contents into an ale mug which sat atop the table next to him, tapping out the small coals which hissed as they quenched in the dregs. Well, I better have a word with this blacksmith. Oh, yeah! He'd stretched out too far as he overworked his old shoulder injury, vigorously rubbing it in a futile attempt to stop the pain as though intent alone he could get rid of the uncomfortable burning sensation. He shook his head and smirked. The memory of the night he'd hurt his shoulder played out in his mind. Visions of drinking, women, good eating, and then it was cut off as another flash of burning pulsed within his tendons. He should have remembered from the last time he'd stretched like that. The exact same thing happened, and the bloody thing hurt for the rest of the day. Whipping up his cloak, A leather affair, with bare fur around its neckline and collar, he stood up. Unstringing his bow as the wood visibly relaxed from its tension. Although it was kept inside a waxed hide covering, he would not risk having it soaked. Wet string and fletchings lessened the performance of the weapon, and in his trade as a hunter, missing a shot could be the difference between eating, claiming a bounty, or in the worst case, losing his life. He patted down his tunic with a smile. At least his dirty clothes would get the washing they needed. And so, he walked out into the downpour. The town of Eastwald was near deserted, and with good reason. The very reason he'd came to this town in the first place. It had all started when a young girl, Tabitha, had gone missing during the night. Fearful parents walk with the gut-wrenching worry at the whereabouts of their missing child. Eastwald had been scoured, 
and the child was nowhere to be found. The search had branched out into the surrounding woodland, the Shalewood, a forest which had always served as a border to the town ever since its founding, and now it served as a graveyard for the corpses of the missing townsfolk. A father, a daughter, a sister, a grandfather, and on it went, the Count nearing twenty when Orin had arrived. The bounty notice was still rolled in his fist when he knocked on the sheriff's office. Name? asked the sheriff's scribe. He'd said the word so many times now it began to lose its meaning. Orin of Vela Glas. Hmm, Vela Glas, eh? Isn't that a mining town? You should be down a pit, shouldn't you? And uh, shouldn't you have caught this wolf yourselves already? I mean, it's a poor day when a lonely miner has to come and trap a damn beast. Orin retorted with a smirk, a cheeky smile hiding his blue eyes in its exaggeration. Yes, well, great hunter, I'll have to see your papers, your license to hunt here in Arteria. Thank you. I'm assuming a smart man such as yourself already knows the bounty agreement? Aye, well enough. Bring the beast head as proof, if I recall. Though, they don't teach us miners how to read, you know. That's the right of it. Without the head, it's no gold for you, I'm afraid. I don't suppose you could recommend me any good lodgings, could you? None that you could afford. The Black Bull, it's in the north side of town. Handy for getting into the forest. At least that's what those other hunters said before they left town empty-handed. Ah, well, fear not, brave scribe. I'm your man. I've worked this area in the past. I'll catch you, Wolf. Don't you worry about it. I'm overcome with relief already. Next. The path was dotted with puddles and thick mud. He did his best to avoid the worst of them, but inevitably... He was ankle-deep in sodden ground within a few yards. The air had turned colder now along with the failing light, and he could clearly see his breath misted as he strode forth. A shiver ran down him as a raindrop made its way down his back. Hunching his shoulders in response, he quickened his pace. The promise of the warm forge and a chance to maybe dry off a touch while he collected his traps was all the persuasion he needed. Striding past houses, with candlelight flickering in their round window frames. The inhabitants, huddled around their halves, hiding away from the cold of the coming night and the fear of what the darkness brought with it. Upon reaching the blacksmith's shop, he was greeted by the young apprentice, a shaggy red-haired and freckled young man, not too bright, yet what he lacked in wits he had gained in brawn. Even for his young age, this lad was big and already had the look of a seasoned smith about him. Master Brunnen has finished your traps, good Sir Orin. I'm no night lad, but thanks all the same. Orin walked past without a pause. Brunnen! Where's me damn traps? You said they'd be done by now. A clatter of metal came as response, as a stout man, grizzled and grey, waddled into the open, his arms filled with the newly repaired bear traps. Ah, Master Orin, here's your trap. I've fitted new springs here and I've sharpened... And you took your bloody time with it. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. I'll pay for the swiftness, Brunnen. Newvel true. 
You've got a return customer in me, be sure of it. I'm just happy for the work. We don't get much here in Eastworld. Your lad here alright to help me carry these back to the Black Bull. Bit of a handful for just me. Samuel? Come help Master Oren with his things. You're done for the day anyway, and I'll see you in the morning. Master Oren, it's been a pleasure. Go well. Aye, go well. After drying himself off, he returned to the Black Bull Inn. Oren half wished he'd carried the traps himself, as the conversation thus far had been beyond dull, with the talk mainly around the difference between certain tongs and hammers. At least the rain had stopped. There was some solace in that, he thought. Though as the lumbering Samuel continued on, Orin stared and wondered if he could drown himself in one of the puddles. It's a lot of trouble for a wolf, this. Must be a big one, eh? With a bounty so high. Master Brunnen doesn't think it is a wolf. But I think that is... Right, here we are. Cheers, lad. This is for your troubles. Hauling the traps onto his shoulder and feeling the uncomfortable weight and prodding of the sharp teeth, he made his way inside the Black Bull. Passing through the common room of the inn, avoiding the raucous merriment and fumbling into his room. Placing down his burdens, he slicked back his still damp chestnut hair. He gave each trap a quick individual inspection, using the light from the fireplace one of the serving girls had been kind enough to keep burning for him. Once he was warm, he laid out his things. Placing them in order, traps, bow and broadhead arrows, the venison he'd brought with him to serve as a bait in the traps, his hunting dagger, its bone handle carved from a previous wolf he'd tracked and killed. It seemed only fitting to be used in the death of another. His wineskin, half empty but still full enough to get any man drunk, and finally his pipe, which after placing down he quickly picked back up, snatching out a taper, lighting it on fire and dipping it into the bowl as he drew on the dry leaf. One final smoke before bed, and one final swig of wine as well. The knock on the door came at first light, yet he was already awake. Quietly thanking the serving girl for his morning call, he slipped on his trues and boots, and once ready, he packed everything and ventured out. He heard the commotion before he saw the crowd, making his way out of the door and over and across the muddy path he could smell the irony stench of blood. Pushing his way through the crowd, he peered through the gaps and over people's shoulders. A body laid bare. The torso was open, chest to groin. Internal organs were gone and the eyes were missing, as were the fingers on each hand, which looked to have been bitten off. The limbs had openings in a way that looked like the bones had been removed. He gagged at the sight. The smell he could deal with, after all he was a hunter, he'd known much worse. But this was a person. He struggled to hold down the wine he'd swilled on the walk over here. The occasional word, wolf and beast, could be heard amongst the grumbling chatter of the crowd. It wasn't a wolf, it was the whisperwind. A few people groaned and others snickered. Hoss girl, get back inside now. A man, clearly the girl's father, commanded her. Whisperwind? What the bloody hell is a whisperwind? Oren asked, more to himself than anyone in particular. Ah, she's a fool, girl. Yeah, and all the other children are saying it as well. 
Well, what is it? Orin asked. Ah, it's just an old story. A crone used to live in the woods, before the town was here. They said if you whispered into a tree, she'd grant you a wish. Yeah, she always wanted something in return, though. Like what? Oh, I don't know. They always say different things. It's just an old Venice story. Well, what different things do they say? Well, when I was growing up, uh, she wanted your fingers. No, no, not your fingers. She wanted your finger bones. Uh, Why the bones? It's an old Ven legend. They never make any bloody sense. That was true, Orin thought. He'd heard a lot of stories from the Ven, and none of them had made any sense to him. You're going to find this wolf then, Hunter? The man asked. Aye, I plan to. I best get to it. It was then Orin noticed the corpse. The body had been so badly damaged, it had taken him till now to see it. The hair, the parts not stained by blood, were bright ginger. It was the blacksmith's apprentice, Samuel. Shocked, he felt the weight of guilt press upon him. If he'd not asked for help, the lad wouldn't have been here. Would it have been him instead, he thought. He'd have been no more prepared carrying his traps, even if he was used to dealing with beasts like this. He turned his back to the crowd. It must have happened not long after he'd left him. He'd heard no commotion. Surely there would have been some. Well, the tavern was busy and very loud that night. With a deep sigh, Orin walked away. He bent his knees to get a closer look at the ground, but finding paw marks or footprints was an impossible task. The downpour had been so heavy that any traces were soon filled by the sludge-like mud caused by the crowd's own boots. Even the local lord's master of hounds had said he couldn't pick up a scent. They keep taking me to the graveyard. There's no bloody wolf den in the graveyard. After questioning, but receiving no new useful information from the townsfolk, Orin decided best to head out to the woodland. The nearby forest was known to all as the Shalewood. The Shalewood stretched from here, slightly further south, but ranged much farther north, reaching up as far as the borders of the nation of Ballora. Leaving behind the road, Orin, who usually felt at home in the woodland, felt unsettled. Unlike the lush green earth tones he was usually greeted by, he entered this place with the smell of rot pervading throughout. He'd spent hours walking and had seen no sign nor heard any noises made by animal life. Instead, all he could hear was the slow rise and fall of the wind as it mourned through the crooked and bent trees, as well as the snapping of dead branches and the noises made by his own breathing. Orin stopped. Leaning against a rotted oak that had long since split in half, he restrung his hunting bow. It was a struggle at first, before finally the cord was taut and under the bow's control again. He gave a quick flex, checking the tension, before pulling out his wineskin, taking a hearty gulp down, and then a second before returning the stopper. Yet more hours of walking had turned up nothing. No fur on branches, no wolf tracks, no tracks of any kind. In fact, 
It seemed like nothing had disturbed the carpet of half-rotted twigs and crumbling leaves for a very long time. He reached down and removed the cork stopper again from his wineskin. Guzzling it down, he felt how empty his stomach was. He knew he should have eaten, but these days he was more concerned with wine or ale than bread or meat. He decided to bite into one of the cuts of venison and chewed the meat slowly. His thoughts drifted back to Samuel's corpse. How could nobody have seen it happen? Nobody have heard anything at all? Weren't all the others found in the woods? And why, if this was just an old Venice story, would nobody take him to the spot where the bodies were found? He'd even tried persuading a few of the villagers with the silver he'd had, yet he found no takers. Other hunters he'd spoken to had had the same experience and said the townsfolk were fearful of the place. He knew the spot was nearby to where he was now, but navigating this dense woodland was tricky, even for a seasoned hunter like him. Catching sight of what looked like smoke up ahead, the wispy grey cloud twirled in the half-rotten canopy. With an arrow notched, and ready to be drawn and loosed in a heartbeat, he stalked as quietly as could, heading off towards the campfire. As he drew near, he saw it was indeed a fire. A small pit burned, a rabbit cooking upon a spit. The meat, still not fully cooked on the top, yet its underside was charred and black where the flames had licked at it for too long. A crossbow, quarrels and all, as well as a walking staff, lay carelessly strewn upon a makeshift log seating. A small satchel, open, had its contents poured upon the floor as if kicked over with disregard. Orin felt tense immediately. The sense of danger hung in the air like the smell of sour milk. He dropped into a crouching position, attempting to hide from sight, and as he slowly turned, he pulled the bowstring back, ready to fly without hesitation. Hey, don't shoot! Orin's eyes darted off to the left of him, bow still at the ready. Don't shoot, don't shoot, we're just hunters! Orin relaxed and smiled at the two young lads dressed in animal furs. The pair gingerly stepped out from between the trees, both with hands up beside their heads, one holding a net and a snare, the other a dead rabbit. <laughs> you had me worried there. <laughs> I saw the bag upturned and your camper mess. The food uneaten. Well, everything that's been going on, you know. You gonna put the bow down then? The taller of the two said, nodding at Orin's weapon. <laughs> My apologies. Orin visibly relaxed. He removed the bow but kept it in his hand as he rose up. You caught this little bugger here. Caught it in the snare. Not much food out here. And we weren't letting it go to waste. And with a wolf about, thought it best we go together, you know. Aye, smart lads. Orin stepped forward, turning the rabbit on its spit. It's burnt black, that one. Well, salvage what we can. We've got another here. Are you hungry? What did you say your name was? I didn't. It's Orin. I need it. And this is loss. We're not brothers before you ask... You here for the wolf as well, then, eh? Aye. I'm guessing you're the same. I'm not doing it for the bounty. I'm doing this for my sister Tabby. 
Orin rubbed his bristly chin. He'd heard the story of the young girl gone missing. He'd even tried speaking to the parents, but they were too distraught to entertain the idea. Overcome with pity for the lad, he looked them both in the face. Listen, lads. I usually work alone. But, uh, there is just this once, eh? I'll even uh, give you a share of the bounty. <laughs> we don't need your help. Shut up, Los. Look, you look like you can track a beast. Uh, we just use snares and nets and the ball cat. Well, we did before. Anyway, if we can find a way to kill this bastard quicker, I'm all for it. Right. Well, let's fix this camp. Then in the morning, we'll hunt as a wolf. Anvidar. After the death of his squire, Elias, at the hands of the vile archdemon Astaroth, Anvidar has made his exit from the prison tomb. Along the way, he was confronted by minions in service to yet another fiend, Valmaris. Learning of Astaroth's intent to use the body of Anirian's ancient ancestor, the demon now seeks to use the ancient relic known as the Lodestone of Inerian. After dispatching the foul creatures, the Icon of War has finally made his way onto the frozen wastelands that is the Black Fells. From here, if he can survive, he must head back to Kalandor and tell the Grand Master of all he has learned. He felt the cold above him as he inhaled the frozen air. His lungs worked overtime, struggling to bring much-needed oxygen into his damaged body. His chest wheezed as he climbed the iron rungs before him, a trachea bruised and swollen, his parting gift from the demon Astaroth. Anvidar hated the Blackfells, hated the fact that this place had become his charge, hated that he was the one to watch over the ancient prison tomb. But above all, he hated himself for failing to stop what had happened here. Whilst he'd been below, the tail end of a blizzard had torn through the fells. This was a regular occurrence here in this inhospitable place. But by the luck that had served him thus far, the icy gale had begun to wane. As he finally heaved himself up and out, his armour making it all the harder for him, he wondered if by some miracle the horses were still alive. If they were, he would ride them back to Kalandor, and if they were not, he would have to face a long, arduous journey back to the outpost, a place he'd called home for the past eight years. Once there he could eat and remount for the journey back, riding hard for Kalandor down the road of iron. With the wind gone, the silence was all engulfing. Hearing his own heartbeat when he stopped, as well as the noise of the snow he dredged through with its crushing squeak underfoot, the noise became his anthem. The saying was that even the wind was scared to make noise here, yet it was also said that the wind was the only noise within the black bells. And when it blew, 
for days upon end, being lost in the wastes could send a man insane. The paranoia of mishearing voices on the wind, only to die alone, trying to find them. Frozen to death, or dying from starvation, eventually, all lost souls were swallowed by the snowfall. Amvadar did not have time to listen for voices, and nor would he. Deep in his own thoughts, he was angry at himself. Not only had he failed in his duty to keep the demon Astaroth imprisoned, but it had cost the life of his friend and squire in the failing. Amvadar had cared little for anyone for most of his life, but he had found a kindred spirit in the young Elias, as he, like the squire, had become orphaned by the sinister hand of Nezrakar fanatics. He'd held hopes he would one day take his place as the icon of war in the Order, when Amvadar inevitably became too old and frail to serve. But that was something that would never happen now. In truth, for a warrior of the Argent Order, Elias had been lucky in his death. In the past, and seemingly more frequent these days, the body would often become inhabited by the very demon that slew them, taking a comrade in arms and twisting them into some sickening enemy. Ambedar had been sent to deal with this situation far too often for his liking. One memory stung him in particular. Even after all these years, he felt the guilt, the gut-wrenching pain of that loss. But he would not linger upon that again. Reaching down, he took a handful of snow into his mouth, allowing it to melt against his inner cheek and giving his first the quenching it needed. He mulled over the questions in his mind. Why had he not been informed how powerful this Astaroth truly was? Why had the Order just sent him and a squire to watch over an arch-demon? Did the winged beast in the tomb speak truth? Was this demon's vessel Inerian's blood? If so, the nations of Arn, and perhaps even Aethra itself, was on the verge of destruction. Ambadar's heart sank. The petrified tree he and Elias had tied their mounts to had been split in half. A mass of blood, hair and hooves scattered at its trunk, the reins and saddle not far from a trail of blood leading off from the scene. The other horse was missing. The Knight of the Order held out hope the mount he'd rode in on, which had not been his own, had run away. His grey mare was sick, but safe back in Attilian's watch. Perhaps he would find the stray mount, hopefully before he froze to death out here in the wastes of the Blackfells. After many hours of walking, his newly found cowl pulled tight across his face. His steel gauntlets swung at his waist, having had them removed for fear of frostbite. He gripped the fur trim of his cloak like a shivering child holds a blanket, his fingers curled inside. He was thankful the icy wind had eased the pain of his head wound, but Anvidar could feel the dried blood caked in his eyebrows and cheeks. The wound on his forehead had still not closed. Small trickles of blood would run and then freeze dry from the unknitted skin, causing him yet more irritation. Upon approaching a small hill, he noticed an opening a cave mouth, its dark interior stark contrast against the white that surrounded him. He could feel a turn in the weather was coming, the air felt alive, and although he knew he must push on, the icon of war also knew he would not survive walking in a snowstorm here. He worked hard to reach the entrance, 
which upon approach was smaller than he'd first thought, yet more than adequate for him and a few others to shelter in. The dark mud that surrounded him was frozen, and what little light poured in from the outside showed roots long dried out and tangled. They were knotted and protruded from above his head. His hand groped at his waist into an oiled leather pouch. His flint and tinder in hand, he reached up and snapped off a fistful of the dried roots. It took no time for the roots to set aflame, and to his surprise, they burned slow and gave off enough heat to bring the feeling back into his hands. Slumping his back against the wall, he let himself slide down into a seated position. Exhaling out a sigh of exhaustion, his eyelids felt heavy. His hand, holding his sword scabbard, relaxed, and so, resting his chin upon his chest, he slowly drifted off into slumber. In his sleep he saw her face, her eyes, one blue and one green, the hair like golden thread resting upon her shoulders. Memories from his past blurred and flickered, thoughts of holding her hand as they walked, the pair eating alone, the smell of her skin as they lay entwined, making love as the rain tried to break through the thatched roof of their home, and the sickening sound as the blade-like claws dug deep into her stomach, the noise of her last breath as he held her in his arms, suffering an agony which had never left him. Yima. For a time they were each other's, but now no longer. Even after all these years, he could not let her go. Even in the nightmares that brought the sorrow back out into the open, he would rather glimpse her face for a second and suffer than forget and live in peace. Is he dead? Well, he looks it all right. Look at his sword. He's part of that order. Here, look. Look at the symbol on the sheaf. Amvadar jolted awake, his hand instinctively reaching for Breaker, yet he grasped nothing. Looking for this. A well-dressed man, wrapped in fine furs, waved Amvadar's sword back at him in a mocking manner. I don't need the sword to kill you both. Give me it back, or am I going to tear it from your corpse? We'll be the one asking the questions here, sir. Now... Where did you get that clout from? That was Chapter 1, Part 2 of Aether and Dark Saga. You can support the podcast by leaving a rating or review on iTunes, Podchaser, Stitcher, CastBox, or wherever you listen to podcasts. A Patreon is coming with exclusive additional content for its subscribers, so be sure to head over to the page to check it out. Come join me on Twitter for the latest news and episode announcements at Averon Podcast, all one word. All music in this episode was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Kevin also has a Patreon, so please follow the links in the show notes to support him. Thanks for listening. All music licensed under Creative Commons Attribution 3.0.